It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The Bible tells us that we shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free. We shall know the truth. Well, here is the God's truth about January 6, 2021. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest is more important than his country's interest, than America's interest. And because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our Constitution, he can't accept he lost, even though that's what 93 United States senators, his own attorney general, his own vice president, governors and state officials in every battleground state have all said he lost. That's what 81 million of you did as you voted for a new way forward. All right, that was a Joe Biden. And he was speaking last Thursday at the commemoration of January the 6th. And I just wanted to share with you, you know, his encouraging remarks because he's, you know, quoting the Bible about truth will make you free while he's, you know, telling big whoppers. Truth, we know, is not really important to Joe Biden. It hasn't been for decades. It's just that people did not really... No, that's not true. People actually knew that about uh, him. And one of the many times he ran for president, he actually had to drop out of the race because he had plagiarized long passages of other people's speeches. Uh, He was all over the map always. He is a chronic, habitual liar. But the truth, we shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Of course, the the protest on January the 6th was all about an election uh, that uh, thousands, uh, millions, really, of Americans felt was uh, unjust and decided wrongly. We can see it for our very eyes. And in spite of what they say, the courts never did get to look. They never did look at the evidence. They didn't want to. And so they just refused to hear the cases. And even now, uh, we are finding out more and more things about uh, that's, that are coming out about the, in Arizona and uh, also in Georgia and many other states. So Uh, What he's saying is not true. There were terrible problems with that election, no matter what he says. And so that's what we are looking for. And that's why the now estimated 6 million people were in Washington on January the 6th. You know, Biden went ahead to underscore his devotion to truth because, you know, the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. During his speech, he uh, gave tribute to Capitol Police Officer William Evans, who died in the wake of January the 6th. Well, the problem was, of course, that William Evans died three months later in a completely unrelated incident. Completely. A Nation of Islam person uh, uh, emerged wielding a knife and he went after him. I'm sure he died valiantly, but it's not related to January the 6th. 
And so, uh, of course, and he also says, Jill and I have mourned police officers in this Capitol Rotunda, not once but twice in the wake of January the 6th, once to honor Officer Brian Sicknick, who lost his life the day after the attack, and uh, the second time to honor Officer Billy Evans, who lost his life defending the Capitol as well. Nancy Pelosi did a whole list of uh, officers of the Capitol that were killed that day. And you know what? This is just not true. Please, this is just not true. The coroner's office, it was public knowledge that Brian Sicknick died of a massive stroke the day after the Capitol Hill riot. They had told us he was uh, hit in the head by a fire extinguisher, and that was an abject lie. But, of course, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The other officers, many of them died of suicide. I think three or four committed suicide in the days after January 6th. We don't know whether it's because they were upset by what they saw from the protesters or whether they were upset by what they were forced to do on that day, or something in between. Maybe they had already psychological problems, but they were not killed on January the 6th. That is just not true. But, of course, the uh, charade had to be uh, kind of paraded out on uh, Thursday. And, of course, it got even more bizarre inside the Capitol. Here's Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) This is bizarre. By any measure, on any yardstick, this is bizarre. Here's Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. Let us acknowledge today, as I conclude, I want to acknowledge our fallen heroes of that day. U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Howard Livingood, Metropolitan Officer Jeffrey Smith, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Billy Evans of a later assault. Now I ask all members to rise for a moment of silence in their memory. There you go. In their memory. They were not killed on January the 6th. That's a lie. That is a lie. And then continuing, though, the bizarre nature, this is what actually the clip I thought I was setting up. (laughs) Nancy Pelosi, in order to make her, if you don't understand that this is political theater, political theater, that's why they call it theater, because there's not any truth in it. It's like an act. It's a play. It's uh, it's like a Shakespeare play, and so Nancy Pelosi kind of illustrated it very graphically when she did this. This is clip 19. We're privileged to have a contribution from one of the great creative talents of our time, Lin-Manuel Miranda. May his beautiful words be an inspiration to us. We should never take our rights and liberties for granted, and we must remain committed to finding a way forward together. That's what I wrote about in the song Dear Theodosia from Hamilton. That's bizarre. That's Lin-Manuel Miranda is the guy who uh, scripted um, the Hamilton. Hamilton was that, you know, very successful, is, very successful musical on Broadway. He's not exactly a notable American patriot who knows all about the Constitution and has a right to speak up about January the 6th, but that's who she featured. And then, of course, all the singers, not all, selected group of senior singers from Hamilton were presented on Zoom, singing in their little boxes. This is how they commemorated January the 6th. And then I want to read one other thing to you. The, the uh, congressmen were allowed to share their experiences on that day. So... Um, Chuck Schumer got up and he said, Donald, Donald Trump today continues to spread his poisonous vial about the big lie. 
It was not, and it was Donald Trump's big lie that soaked our political landscape in kerosene. It was Donald Trump's rally that struck the match, and then came the fire. That's how he preceded his story about how horrendous it was that day. He said, I was within 30 feet of these nasty, racist, bigoted insurrectionists. And then he said, I was told later that one of them reportedly said, there's the big Jew. Let's get him. Okay, so uh, do you believe that? Uh, somehow I don't believe that. It's kind of like um, Nancy Pelosi reporting that she heard the N-word as she was walking with the Black Caucus through the crowd who had gathered to stop Obamacare, what, 10 years ago? And, and no, there were no recordings of it. No one could find any evidence of it, but it was what they said. So uh, this is the game that they play. It is political theater, and it's very dangerous. And I'll illustrate to you why it's very dangerous. Because the day before the commemoration of January the 6th, or memory, or whatever it was, the beast, the breast beating of January the 6th, and the characterization of it as an insurrection, which, by the way, not a person, a single person, that's been arrested, and there are 700-some of them, have been charged with insurrection. No one. They couldn't find any evidence of insurrection. No weapons. Uh, just to, with all those thousands of hours of video, they came up short, and yet they want to call it that because there's a constitutional provision that says if a president supports an insurrection, uh, he cannot run for office again. And they're now trying to use that to stop Donald Trump from running in 2024. So just so you know, that's a discussion we can have on a on a different day. But Merrick Garland, the current Attorney General of the United States, stood up the night before uh, the the breast beating of, of January the 6th and said this, and this is when it gets very serious. Let's listen. The Justice Department remains committed to holding all January 6th perpetrators at any level accountable under law, whether they were present that day or were otherwise criminally responsible for the assault on our democracy. We will follow the facts wherever they lead. So did you hear that the, like the odious expression? He, uh, we're, they've already sent out the biggest force they've ever, they announced it proudly. We're unleashing the largest force of investigators. We're unleashing the FBI to track down and hunt down all of these people that were there on January the 6th, but now Merrick Garland is expanding it. You didn't have to be there. You're just, if you helped plan that day, uh, anyone who's involved in any way now can be the subject of, we're coming after you. So uh, it's very dangerous because, of course, they have to label Trump supporters as criminal, they have to label the fact that many of us believe that the election was was stolen from President Trump, and I do believe that, uh, that we must agree with them that that's a big lie. And uh, the leaders of the Republican Party are happy with this. They don't mind. Uh, they want us to get over this. Just get over it. <clears throat> Sweep it under the carpet. Don't pay attention. And uh, that's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And so I guess they're going to have to arrest millions of Americans in order to stop this or destroy their lives arrest more of them, ruin their businesses. That is what they're in the process of doing. So I want to point out that there is a movie. Uh, I've mentioned several movies about January the 6th, and Newsmax has come out with another one. This is probably the best produced, best, uh, best representation that uh, logically puts things together in a way that I think people who are not watching it as carefully as maybe I am uh, can, can really uh, benefit from. It's called Day of Outrage. I watched it, I think it premiered Friday night, I think. 
Um, and I watched it. But I want you to know they're going to play it again. So if you could write this down, it's Day of Outrage. Day of Outrage. It's going to air it on Newsmax. Uh, this is several days. So Tuesday, January the 11th at 3. Thursday, January the 13th at midnight Eastern. Friday, January the 14th at 3 a.m. Eastern. Saturday, January the 15th at 2 p.m. Eastern. And Sunday, January the 16th at 11 p.m. Eastern. We'll put that on our Facebook page, but I, because I know that was a lot to digest and I can't go back and repeat them because I have to hurry to other things. Uh, but it's an excellent, excellent uh, presentation and it will help you kind of put things in context it's, and help people that are maybe don't understand fully what happened on that day. It really helps to frame it. It's Day of Outrage and it's on Newsmax. <clears throat> and the next, <clears throat> excuse me, the next airing is tomorrow night, that's Tuesday, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you might want to just go in and, and record it. So much more to say, but I want to just uh, change the subject for a second to something life-giving, and that is we're starting our pre-born campaign today. It's our 2022 campaign. Uh, you know that abortion, by the way, is the leading cause of death in the U.S. and the world. You might think it's COVID, but it's not. It's abortion. Uh, our, over 860,000 are performed in the U.S. annually, and over 63 million babies' lives have been tragically taken since Roe versus Wade. Preborn works with hundreds of Christian pregnancy centers around the country, providing life-saving services such as an ultrasound. The ministry Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the U.S. And I just diverge from the script here to say that the ultrasounds have been a powerful tool uh, for the last several years because when moms who find out they're pregnant and they uh, well, whether they want the baby or not, and they actually see the baby at such an early stage, they just can't bring themselves to terminating that lot to uh, terminate that life. It's a powerful tool, and that's what Preborn is in the business of doing: is providing those. Your gift of twenty-eight dollars provides one woman seeking an abortion a free ultrasound. Uh, so, if you'd like to help, and I hope that you will, you'll be hearing about us talk talk about this this week. You can call eight seven seven six one six two three. Nine six. That's eight seven seven six one six two three nine six. Or you can go ahead and donate online at afr.net. That's afr.net. Well, coming up next, the Supreme Court heard uh, the at least two sections, the two areas of the Biden mandates on Friday. Phil Kirpin joins us next to talk about this. His uh, a brief. Uh, to the Supreme Court was mentioned at least three times while I was listening to the arguments. And I want to hear what he has to say about it, because I think you might want to know. I do. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 or more per month with MediShare. And what's more... They like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate when compared to health insurance. Double. You get access to a massive network of providers and 24-7 telehealth. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years. And it's more than just affordable health care, too. You get to be part of a community of Christians who pray for each other and support each other. But here's why now is the time to make the switch. Join before January 15th and they'll waive your new member fee. 
you'll save another $170 right off the bat. Call now, you'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline is January 15th, so you can save even more. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. And one of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was the legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in Standing for Life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Senator Ted Cruz is in the middle of a political firestorm. The other day, he shocked and angered conservatives by calling the U.S. Capitol riot a terrorist attack. Now, he tried to walk back those comments during an interview with Tucker Carlson, but that made the situation even worse. Critics say Senator Cruz is going to challenge President Trump for the presidential nomination, and his comments were meant to make a play for establishment Republicans and never-Trumpers. Others say Cruz has never been a true loyalist to the former president because of the brutal attacks Trump waged against the Texas senator during the 2016 presidential primary. Whatever the case, there is turmoil in the world of Republican politics, a political civil war. By the way, the socialists are making a play to take over America, and I explain what we can do about it in my latest book, Culture Jihad. You can get a copy at your favorite bookstore or online at ToddStearns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Seven of the eight justices in the courtroom were masked for today's arguments. Justice Gorsuch, the lone holdout. As Justice Sotomayor elected to dial in from her office. First up on the docket today, a request to stay the Labor Department's emergency regulation requiring employers with 100 workers or more to mandate vaccines or require unvaccinated workers to wear masks and test at least once a week. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan made clear they support the mandate. But some of what Justice Sotomayor had to say in defense of the measure raised eyebrows. Those numbers show that Omicron is as deadly and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. That's not true. Omicron is more mild. We have laboratory evidence of that. We have epidemiological evidence of that. We have over 100,000 children 
which we've never had before, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Well, that's not true. We have not had 100,000 children in serious uh, condition in U.S. hospitals, according to the CDC. At the center of today's arguments was the issue of whether the federal government has the power to do via regulation, what numerous members of the Biden administration said it would not do, including White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who has said both that the federal government would not enact a mandate and that it was not the role of the federal government to do so. Justice Gorsuch making this observation. It appears that the federal government is going agency by agency as a workaround to its inability to get Congress to act. The second case weighed whether the administration can mandate vaccines for workers at health care facilities that get federal dollars via Medicare or Medicaid. Justice Kagan, who cited vaccination as the best way to stop the spread of COVID-19, added this. You have to get vaccinated so that you're not transmitting the disease that can kill elderly Medicare patients, that can kill sick Medicaid patients. I mean, that seems like a pretty basic infection prevention measure. With both mandates, the opponents cited studies showing one to three percent of the workforce will quit if forced to choose between vaccination and their jobs. Employers who join the case argue that while they're already struggling with labor shortages, a walkout on that scale would create a nationwide economic problem. And Brett, by the way, I'd expect a decision within days, I'd say a couple weeks at the very most. All right, that was Shannon Breen's report on the Supreme Court hearing on Friday, which I listened to probably half of it. One correction uh, with Shannon, actually, Tom, Judge Thomas and Scalia, uh, Scalia, no, huh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going blank, but not Scalia, our other Italian justice, and Gorsuch did not wear masks, and I think maybe uh, one other did not wear masks during the arguments. I think that's actually kind of a, uh, gives us insight into where they stand on this issue. That's my shallow thinking on this. I, w- I have so many thoughts about this hearing. I found myself pretty upset most of the time. I felt like it was uh, the talking points of Anthony Fauci being paraded across the dais, and the ridiculous statements of some of the justices were just amazing. Um, But I'm not an expert on this, and someone who is is joining us this morning. I heard American Commitment mentioned at least three times, twice or three times, uh, during the first half uh, of the arguments, and that made me think of Phil because he's the founder and president of American Commitment, a longtime friend. And I wanted to ask him to join us to talk about, I'm sure he watched probably every minute of it. Phil, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, good to meet you. Uh, Phil, uh, oh, wow, we got kind of a bad connection here, but uh, let's see if we make this a little bit better. Uh, Just in general, what did you think? Overall, what did you think of the arguments and how it came down in the court? Well, um, I think that uh, our side, the side that was challenging the regulations, started out a little bit shaky. Uh, the first lawyer seemed nervous. Uh, I don't know exactly what was going on. But frankly, um, I'm reasonably confident because the three crazy liberals embarrassed themselves and said a lot of crazy, ignorant, and stupid things. Uh, that wasn't terribly shocking or surprising. Uh, but the other six all seemed to be pretty skeptical of the government's assertion of power here. And so I, I'm pretty optimistic, at least on the OSHA one. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I did not listen to the last part, so I was hoping uh, that uh, more better things happened in that last part, and, and maybe they did. But let's talk about some of the outrageous things that were said. Um, one of the things we just heard in Shannon's piece, and that was uh, Sotomayor saying that Omicron is, is just as deadly as the Delta variant. And without belaboring that, anybody who watches the news knows that that's, that's not true. The Omicron is just spreading everywhere to the vaccinated, unvaccinated, 
Everybody knows somebody who has COVID right now because it's spreading like wildfire. By the way, it's Justice Alito. He's our, our Italian, sorry, a justice who's still living, who did not wear a mask during the arguments. Um, so Sotomayor went on to say some, something else ridiculous. And Phil, let me play this. It's very short and then get your comments. This is uh, Sotomayor uh, speaking the truth, of course, always the truth. Here's Justice Sotomayor. Let's listen. Um, we have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Okay, so Phil, how about you respond to that? Well, that's completely false. Uh, we don't have hospitals near full anywhere. In fact, the story of the hospital utilization is really sort of paradox because we've got this situation where the number of COVID patients in U.S. hospitals have gone up by about 70,000, but the number of total patients, COVID and non-COVID, has actually gone down over that period. So, you know, there's, there's no chance that hospitals are being overwhelmed because they're not even increasing in utilization. They're flat as a pancake. Uh, they're just classifying a lot more patients as COVID than they were before. You would think there would be a lot more curiosity in the media about what's going on, that the COVID number is going up like crazy, but the top-line utilization number is not moving. I find that, and every state looks like that, by the way. I find this remarkable. Uh, they never talk about it. Uh, children, there are about 3,500 total in the hospital. Most of them, we think, are not there for COVID. They just happened to test positive while they were there. So this 100,000 critical condition is completely insane. Um, and, and frankly, there's no excuse for them being so wildly uninformed on the science because we put a very detailed brief in uh, from multiple epidemiologists that we work with that detailed all of the data from all around the world that showed uh, three things that I think knock out the entire case for a mandate. Uh, they are, number one, that Omicron has almost completely taken over. Number two, Omicron is not dangerous. It is not a grave danger. It is about 80 or 90 percent less dangerous than previous variants, which puts it totally in line with the regular respiratory viruses we've lived with forever. And third, the vaccines aren't effective against Omicron anyway. They, they do not prevent transmission, which is why we have these numbers of vaccinated people that are getting it everywhere, which knocks out the whole idea that unvaccinated people are a danger to others in the workplace. And so uh, I'm glad at least somebody met, read our brief. I think it was one of the lawyers on our side, though. But I, I hope that uh, you know, maybe the, at least the clerks uh, for some of these Democratic judges could read it and uh, prevent their bosses from saying such absurd and uh, embarrassing things. You know, speaking of saying embarrassing things, Justice St Stephen Breyer, first of all, the I'm not used to hearing their voices. The arrogance with which they speak is amazing to me. And Stephen Breyer was maybe got the, the first prize for arrogance and just dripping with it. He talked about how his uh, clerks had been so busy with this. And I thought that was ironic you would think that he wouldn't want to say his clerks had been so busy researching this. Why wasn't he busy researching it? Because he claimed that there were 750 million new cases yesterday, or close to it, and that's a lot. So if we delay that one day, maybe I'm wrong, and please tell me if I am, but the numbers I read when they issue the order, um, new, that, uh, 700, what, or 50 million a day, and yesterday, they were close to 750,000. So if we delay it a day, here we have an effect. 750,000 more people will have COVID who otherwise, if we didn't delay, would not have it. I mean, I don't doubt the power of the court to issue a stay. I'm just saying, what are the consequences of that? And if I'm wrong, you better tell me I'm wrong because that it, it really did make a difference. Respond to that, Phil. 
Well, I mean, he was saying that if the OSHA mandate came in, it would prevent 100% of New Daily cases. I don't know how anyone can think that, because you look at the most vaccinated places in the country, like, you know, Marin County, California, and, you know, Manhattan, New York City, and they're all record high cases while they have the most vaccinated populations of the entire country. And here we have one of the liberal justices on the Supreme Court saying, well, you know, if the mandate comes in, we'll prevent every single case. So if we delay it for a day, that's 750,000 cases. I mean, it's completely unhinged and disconnected from reality. Well, also, just 750 million new cases yesterday, there were only 332 well, that's million. A that's a, that one's a misspeak. He meant 1,000. But, you know, the idea that delaying it means that you're, you know, you could have otherwise prevented them, that to me is more crazy than saying million instead of 1,000. Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, um, Kagan did the same thing. And they talk, um, the thing that drives me crazy, Phil, is that they assert the talking points of the media, that the vaccines work. You must, everyone knows. Why wouldn't you? And they, of course, uh, interject. I think they watch CNN. I think they watch CNN or or read the New York Times because the Uh, the information they have is so disconnected from reality. I don't know where they could be getting it except from those places. All right, so you uh, submitted this brief, which sounds great. Now, but you don't have, they they can read it or they don't have to read it. It's submitted to all the justices regardless of what you think their position is, correct? Yeah, it goes in the docket. Typically, with the amicus briefs, uh, the clerks do read them. They they don't. They, the justices typically do not, but the clerks do read them. Typically, this was sort of a strange case because it moved so quickly uh, that you know a lot of these briefs didn't get in until very late. We didn't get ours completed until Thursday, so it only came in the day before. So I don't really blame them if they didn't have time to read it. But I hope they've read it by now uh, because they certainly have had the whole weekend and. Uh, you know, they should want the latest information on what's happening, especially because it completely changes the circumstances for this mandate. It makes it completely ridiculous with Omicron taking over to even talk about a man. You know, the thing that I thought was a glaring omission of the part that I heard, so correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't hear anyone really laying out the case for how onerous this is for the American people, what damage it has done. Uh, and even the the harm from the vaccine. I think someone mentioned it in passing, uh, but I don't know if it, anyone ever just sat on that point. Did they? Well, Justice Alito did have a line of questioning about, you know, have you ever mandated something that can potentially cause people health harm? And uh, but he was very he was very sort of uh, guarded in the way he phrased it. He's like, I'm not saying there's a lot of harm. I'm not saying the vaccines are bad. But well, you know, there could be adverse events, and, uh, you know, have you ever mandated something like that before? And they really didn't have a good answer to that. It was interesting. The government lawyer had no answer to that. It was one of the liberal justices. I couldn't tell if it was Sotomayor or Kagan who actually jumped in and saved the government from not being able to answer that and said something about, you know, we make risk trade-off decisions all the time. That's what regulation is. I heard that exchange, and I was so upset about it. And I, I would The thing that struck me about Alito, who is, to me, a champion, is his... He felt like apologetic saying that. I'm not saying, yeah. now I'm not saying, I'm not saying that he sort of, he did that constantly. I, I, now I'm going to be called or they're going to say about me this or that. And I, I'm not saying, and I thought that was really actually kind of frightening, Phil, because justices, um, and I'm not picking on him. I'm just talking about the atmosphere. Uh, what is it? They, they are, uh, you can they're, see it's that. Washington, it's yeah. Washington, D.C. Yeah. Washington, D.C. Yes. I mean, what yes. it is. I know, I know, but I'm just trying to make the point for people and that it, they have and really we become... Mention, Sandy, we should mention one other thing, because the liberal media 
in trying to find an alibi for not covering the insane, stupid things that the liberal justice said, actually made up a fake quote from Justice Gorsuch that they had oh, yes. everywhere, uh, using right. something he didn't actually say. Uh, he was had a line of questioning where he was asking the government sort of what the limiting principle was. And he was kind of saying, you've never mandated polio vaccines. You've never mandated flu vaccines. Could you, if you wanted to, mandate a flu vaccine under your theory? And he said, flu kills hundreds, thousands of people every year. He said it just like that. Um, and it got mistranscribed as hundreds of thousands. And if you listen, he definitely didn't say the word of. It was a mistake in the uh, transcription. And then the media said that, you know, they, they say, oh, forget about the crazy things that the liberal just said. This guy thinks hundreds of thousands of people die of flu every year. When he, when he never said it. He didn't even say that. Well, truth is not really important to the media, as we know, and it isn't important to the liberal justices either. And one thing that I also find, the, the glaring omission, Phil, besides the compassion for the American people who are just, you know, they're losing their businesses, losing their jobs, they are being harmed by the vaccine. I have a story this morning of a 13-year-old boy, and this is not part of the, yeah, I guess it would be covered under the mandates, uh, who died uh, uh, after his second vaccine. I, I, you know, uh, so there are people who are really suffering from this, and that's just a glaring omission. In fact, the justices don't seem to be concerned about that, at least not the leftist judge, judges. But the other thing that's missing, what about the First Amendment, the, the religious, what about our rights as citizens if we have religious objections to something? What about the Fourth Amendment, our privacy? Why do we have to declare whether we've had a vaccine uh, for something uh, to strangers in a restaurant? I, I don't understand why those arguments are not presented. Well, I think that um, I think that the way this case was brought and the reason the plaintiffs brought it the way they did is they think the, the clearest, cleanest way to win this case is sort of the who decides argument that, you know, Congress never authorized this. And uh, they have a good chance of winning on those grounds. You know, the, cha- the challenge of this, to the point that you make, that doesn't help us at all when local governments try to do the same things, when state governments try to do the same things, all of which is happening. And frankly, those lawsuits are going to be even more challenging. And uh, more difficult. And, you know, I, I think that what we're going to find is that lawyers are going to need to actually get into the science and get into the details and get into, you know, the uh, all of the stuff that they would prefer to avoid or else they're going to start losing at these other levels. Oh, I think so, too. I think so, too. And so um, so let's re- let's go back through this one last time, uh, Phil. We've got two different two different issues of the mandates being presented and the first is that OSHA mandate that businesses that have uh, a certain amount of employees have to mandate 100. either a vaccine. What's the number? I've forgotten. What one hundred? The one hundred uh, have to. Uh, they have to be vaccinated, or they have to be uh, tested, peer, whatever, regularly, and mask and all of that. I didn't realize that was an option. They kept stressing that this was well, not a vaccine mandate. For most companies, Sandy, for most companies, it won't be an option because of the administrative complexity and cost. I think that most companies are going to decide they can't do that even if they'd want. All right. So on that part of the hearing, uh, of the, uh, the the arguments, you think that that is actually going to be over overturned? Because it's supposed to go in today, right? Biz- businesses are supposed to be fined starting today. Yeah. Enormous amounts of money if they don't uh, force the vaccine on their employees. Yeah, it's like $14,000 per, per employee uh, per violation. And, uh, and by the way, the Build Back Better bill, if it passed, raises that 900% from 14000 to 140000 Oh, my gosh. Uh, and it tells you a lot about that, Bill. What, okay, so, to do. 
Okay, uh, so I believe it will be stayed. If we if they don't make a decision in the case today, they will probably issue an administrative stay that basically says until we decide it's stayed. So I think we'll okay. get something from them today. All right. So the second part is has to do with healthcare workers being fired because federal uh, federal government is mandating that because of their Medicare and Medicaid dollars to various hospitals. What? Why? How, how is that different? And what do you think it's? What do you think is going to be the fate of that one? Well, that one's tougher for two reasons. First of all, the statute is uh, very, gives very broad powers to the secretary, unlike the OSHA statute, which gives very specific restricted powers. And, you know, the, the, the justice asked a lot about the statutory arguments, and I think that the, uh, the, the statute for the Medicare one is much broader in terms of that, that power does appear to exist, which uh, means that, you know, they, they need to deal with the constitutional issues or other procedural issues. It gets harder. To strike it down. The other problem is that Roberts always likes to play politics and have things both ways and split things down the middle. And uh, for me, to my listen to the things he was saying, he, he wants to, I think, strike down OSHA, but uphold CMS. He sees that as some kind of compromise, and uh, I think that's where he is. And then he just needs to pull, you know, one of the other conservative justices with him, and the, the CMS one is going to stay. And so I think there's a great risk that that one will, in fact, stay. Um, which I find crazy, by the way, because it basically means firing nurses and doctors who've been working for two years with COVID patients, who've been exposed thousands of times, who've had the thing before more than likely, and who know the medical risks of their situation a lot better than some politician does, because they're nurses and doctors. That's their expertise. But that's the people who are going to get overruled on, on making their own medical decisions if the court you know, allows that one to stand. How do you read Kavanaugh on this? Uh, how do I read which one? Sorry. Kavanaugh. Well, you know, he had the uh, thick N95 mask on, so I'm always, when someone walks in with one of those, I tend to think they're a little COVID deranged right off the bat, so that wasn't good. Um, I thought that his questioning was pretty strong on the OSHA one. I think he's going to say they don't have the statutory authority to do it, so I, I think he'll be pretty good on that one, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went with Roberts on the CMS one, the healthcare worker one. All right. Well, that's, I think, a pretty good analysis, Phil, because I, you know, a lot of headlines are saying, oh, that the court is, you know, is going to be overturning these, reading the tea leaves, they're going to overturn the mandates. And I just wasn't confident at all based on what I had listened to. And you kind of given us some insight into that. And I also didn't realize Kavanaugh had the 95 mask on. So that's pretty distressing. It's amazing. They are, um, they really are in a world apart. They are saturated in the world of D.C. where, even an Alito is afraid to outright say that there is risk at taking vaccines without fear of backlash. It's just bizarre to me. Uh, and, th- and yet this is where we are, where our, our rulers are, you know, and they're not affected by what happens. The Supreme Court, well, you know, they, they have their pensions. Unaware, Sandy, they seem unaware that there are large parts of the country that have been living pretty normally for a long time now. I mean, they seem to think that it's still like March 2020 everywhere. There's a time warp aspect to it. Yeah, I know. And um, okay, so Phil, before I let you go, I am sure that you are quite exorcised about what's happening in public schools because that's what we talked about repeatedly. Uh, so we we have thirty seconds left. Are you guys? Um, what are you doing in response to that? Besides, you're just writing and talking about it. I'm sure pushing back. Yeah, well, I was actually. I don't know if people saw this. I was very excited. Uh, Janine and Jeff Yaff. Uh, put up $5 million yesterday of emergency scholarships for Chicago school kids affected by the teacher strike there. And I'm hoping we're going to see more 
private philanthropy to do what government has refused to do, which is give people real educational choices when the teachers' unions are you know, denying them school. I did not see that, and thanks for telling me. You know, Chicago is my hometown, so pretty distressed about what's going on there. Among other places, uh, Phil Kirpin of American Commitment. Phil, thanks. I appreciate your time always. Thanks for your insights, and we'll talk soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Esther, a young girl, became queen of the Persian Empire when Israel was subject to Persian rule. A wicked man named Haman tried to get the king to exterminate all Jews. Esther, a Jew herself, was queen when this genocidal conspiracy was brought to bear. But her cousin Mordecai put her royal position in perspective. Perhaps God made you queen for this very moment, to intervene on behalf of the Jewish people. Like Esther, perhaps God gave you the platform, position, and influence you have for this very moment, to stand against darkness. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Next month's Winter Olympics are called the Genocide Games since they'll legitimate a Chinese Communist Party perpetrating that crime against its own people. That title may literally apply, however, if they become the CCP's next athlete-driven super-spreader event, inflicting further genocide worldwide. 
starting with American and other Olympians. It appears that military games held in Wuhan in October 2019 helped spread the COVID-19 virus developed in an illegal biological warfare lab there. Now, even as the Chinese communists insist the world's best athletes come to Beijing next month, their brutally repressive lockdowns of vast urban populations around China suggest a new, more deadly pandemic is underway. Americans Olympians must not be subjected to or become purveyors of the CCP's next biological attack. Sign our open letter calling on the U.S. Olympic Committee to urge them not to attend at genocidegames.org. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We just heard about the U.S. Supreme Court currently deciding the fate of the president's vaccine mandates. In the questioning, Justice Sonia Sotomayor made this statement. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Now, we can find from Friday suggests there are fewer than 3,500 current pediatric hospitalizations from COVID-19. Is that true? Yeah, but, you know, here's what I can tell you about our pediatric hospitalizations now. First of all, the vast majority of children who are in the hospital are unvaccinated. And for those children who are not eligible for vaccination, we do know that they are most likely to get sick with COVID if their family members aren't vaccinated. So the most important thing we can do for those children to keep them out of the hospital is to vaccinate them and to vaccinate their family members around them. Understood. But the number is not 100,000. It's roughly 3,500 in hospitals now. It, yes, there are, there are. And in fact, what I will say is, while pediatric hospitalizations are rising, they're still about 15-fold less than hospitalizations of our older age, age demographics. Do you have a number of children on ventilators? Um, I do not know, have that off the top of my head, but what I can say is for I, I don't believe there are um, any in many of these hospitals who are vaccinated. So really, the highest risk of being uh, on a ventilator if you're a child is if you're unvaccinated. We also have recent data um, out just this week that's demonstrated that dangerous MISC syndrome that we're seeing in children, 91% protection if you've been vaccinated. But the risk of death or serious illness in children is still very small, right? Comparatively, the risk of death um, is small, but of course, you know, children aren't supposed to die. So, you know, if we have a a child who's been, who is sick with COVID-19, we want to make sure that um, they, uh, we want to protect them, of course. All right. So that's Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, in an interaction with Brett Barrett. Brett, did a great job. And in this next few minutes, I'm going to try to play as much of that as I can because I thought he did a great job. Now, look, the headlines are saying that Rochelle Walensky uh, re- repudiated or or set the record straight. You know, here's a headline. Walensky, here's one of them. I've read several. Walensky says Sotomayor's pediatric COVID hospitalization number was off dramatically. Well, she didn't say anything like that. She did anything she could to cover uh, for what Sotomayor completely lied about, and that, that was over 100,000 children are in the hospital now from COVID, and many of them are on ventilators. It's an abject lie, and you heard us talk about it earlier with Phil. The count uh, nationwide is 3,500, and many of those children, most of them, entered the hospital, maybe all of them, who knows? How would we know? Entered the hospital with some other problem, and they tested them for COVID, and they tested positive. 
doesn't mean they went in for COVID. It's completely misleading. So Rochelle does not sort that out. And she keeps uh, changing the subject or in responding by saying, but children must get vaccinated. They must get vaccinated because we don't want them to die. Which reminds me of a headline that I alluded to earlier with Phil. And that that's this. 13-year-old New Jersey boy dies from unexplained cardiac arrest following his second COVID shot. Um, on June the 6th, 2021, a social media post from the child's mother, Jennifer, Jennifer O'Drain, the child could be seen giving a thumbs up from a doctor's office with a caption, second shot done. And uh, that's all I have time to talk about with that. But I look, yeah, children are not supposed to die. That's right, Rachel Walensky. And so, Rochelle Walensky. And so, uh, Brett goes on to press her. Uh, and this time, he presses her on uh, the... I believe it's the, the ver- difference between the variants. And let's, let's hear what, it, what he has to say. Here it is. Right. But I'm talking from your data, ages 15 to 24, for example, the risk of death is at 0.001%. Um, I, I guess that what I'm getting at in this opening is that the, the Supreme Court is in the process of dealing with this big issue about mandates. And do you feel a responsibility as a CDC director to correct a very big mischaracterization by one of the Supreme Court justices? Yeah, I, um, here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you that right now, 17, you're, if you're unvaccinated, you're 17 times more likely to be in the hospital and 20 times more likely to die than if you're on, than if you're boosted. And so what my responsibility is, is to provide guidance and recommendations to protect the American people. Those recommendations strongly, uh, recommend vaccination for our children above the age of five and boosting for everyone above the age of 18 if they're eligible. Speaking of statistics, uh, it seems to make a big difference if a person in the hospital is in the hospital for COVID-19 or with COVID-19. It's been almost a year since you've been running the agency. Do we have that split on numbers? Um, you know, what I will say is it differs by each variant. So um, some variants, first of all, we're doing screening of many, uh, in many hospitals of everybody who's walking in the door. Um, what we're seeing with the Omicron variant is that um, it tends to be milder person by person, but given how large the numbers are that we're seeing more and more cases come into the hospital. In some hospitals that we've talked to, up to 40% of the patients who are coming in with COVID are coming in not because because they're sick with COVID, but because they're coming in with something else and have uh, had to COVID or the Omicron variant detected. Right. But I guess, do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course. With Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron right, has so, just been sorry, with us for a so, few weeks. So yes, of course we have it, but we don't have it. And uh, so, and she goes on always to the homing pigeon a comment about how important vaccines are when there is a risk of death of zero point zero zero one percent to children. And then she goes on to say, but if children are vaccinated, they have a 17, they're 17 times less likely to die. But they're not hardly likely to die. That's like if I double my salary, I make zero dollars, double it, it's still zero. Yeah, I, this, is, this is nonsense. And it should be clear to you how feckless uh, these so-called experts are and how the Supreme Court could be uh, repeating the nonsense coming out of CDC and coming out of Anthony Fauci, 
Who could trust Rochelle Walensky based on this? She is not refuting uh, Sotomayor. She's trying to cover for her. There's, it's just as clear as that can be. But Brent is not to be put off. He can, continues. Let's listen. Omicron is not as deadly as Delta, at least by your data right now, right? We are starting to see data from other countries that indicate um, on a person-by-person basis it may not be. However, given the volume of cases that we're seeing with Omicron, we very well may see death rates rise uh, dramatically. Okay, uh, back to the mandates for a second. People are losing their jobs. More than 220 Marines, sailors, um, airmen have been kicked out of the military uh, for refusing to get vaccinated. Healthy service members, uh, some of them have circulating antibodies in their blood from past infections, uh, but they're not the antibodies the government recognizes. Is that fair? Um, You know, I think the thing that's most disruptive to um, any business or industry is to have half their workforce out because they're sick with COVID. We have seen with the Omicron variant that um, prior protection protects you less well than it had with um, with the current uh, with than it had with prior variants. So having previous infection seems to not protect you as well as um, against Omicron. Um, Right now, I think the most important thing to do is to protect Americans. We do that by getting them vaccinated and getting them boosted. Yeah, and I know that's the message, but the Omicron variant is infecting the vaccinated. And the vaccinated are transmitting the the virus, correct? Um, That is true. Um, It's infecting them at a lower rate. And importantly, those people who are um, vaccinated and infected with Omicron um, are not the ones who are ending up very sick in the hospital. Those are the people who are unvaccinated. All right, so she's got an answer for everything, but it's very incomplete. When he asked her about whether Omicron, was it true that Omicron is uh, less deadly than Delta? It's uh, pretty mild. Uh, you, well, that, that's, well, we kind of individual basis, we hear, hear from other countries, but uh, because of the sheer volume of cases, we may see, we may see an increased rate of death. Just hoping, hoping that we do, hoping that we can justify these shutdowns. Of course, it doesn't take facts to get the Supreme Court to justify shutdowns, and they are our last hope. And I'm not very hopeful about that hope, but um, I just wanted you to know that's what happened on Friday, and now we just wait uh, for their decision. You know, the sword of Democles hangs in the balance. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.